Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena. Hi, everyone. It's Rena Jadhav with the Health Boot Camps. So today we're gonna to talk about diabetes. You know why? Because literally 50% of Americans are suffering from either diabetes or prediabetes. And the cost is billions. It's not just the cost to, to our economy as a whole that I worry about, it's the cost to family life. It's to the cost to the quality of life. Uh, I've had family members that have had diabetes and it is, it is an awful degenerative disease and we have got to figure out how to put a stop to this. So my guest today is a 20 year veteran in this space, Dr. Brian Mole. He's called the Diabetes Coach and he is the founder and medical director of Sweet Life, the Diabetes Health Centers, and he serves clients worldwide as the diabetes coach. He's master licensed diabetes educator. He was one of the first doctors, in fact, to be certified to practice functional medicine by the prestigious Institute for Functional Medicine. What I love is that he has a, an event every year, a summit, where he brings world's leading doctors that can help you figure out how to get your diabetes under control. Dr. Mole, welcome. Rena, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here with you today. Our pleasure. So let's get started with, I think, I think diabetes is misunderstood in terms of what it is as a disease, you know? Tell our listeners, what is diabetes? It is, is it really a sugar problem or what is it? You know, it's an interesting question. And I uh, ask many of my guests what their definition of diabetes is because it is very misunderstood. And I think different practitioners view diabetes in different ways. Diabetes conventionally is a condition where you have uh, an overload of glucose in the blood for one reason or another. And in fact, the word diabetes mellitus uh, means that you're essentially urinating out too much sugar. So sugar is just coming through you like a siphon. Uh, but I think that is a bit of a misnomer because uh, diabetes goes way deeper than that. And in fact, to me, the way I look at diabetes, it is, it is the pinnacle of metabolic disease. It's really a metabolic disaster. So when you have a number of things going wrong, your liver is no longer processing correctly and you're building fat around your liver, whether it's diagnosed as fatty liver or not, uh, the liver gets congested. That's sort of where type 2 prediabetes metabolic syndromes start. Your muscles no longer process fuel properly. They become uh, just houses for stored fat. Your fat cells themselves start spilling over and no longer can hold uh, fat the way they used to. Your hormone system goes bonkers, essentially. The signaling systems that tell you when you're hungry and when you're full start malfunctioning. And basically, the whole thing is a mess. Your whole metabolic system falls apart. Uh, you stop burning uh, fuel like glucose, sugar, and fatty acids properly. So then what happens is you start storing more fat than you should, and your blood sugar starts to rise. 
at the same time, uh, hormones like insulin, which we can talk more about, uh, get way out of balance and uh, start short-circuiting your health. Uh, diabetes, by the way, is associated with almost every major killer today. Uh, can, uh, if you look at, for example, the number one killer, which is heart disease, cardiovascular disease, there's an intimate relationship between heart disease and diabetes. Uh, diabetes is really one of the leading risk factors for heart disease, cerebrovascular disease or stroke, dementia, uh, Alzheimer's disease, which is number seven on the list right now of killers, even cancer, which I know is something you talk quite a bit about. Cancer rates skyrocket when we have insulin resistance, which underlies type 2 diabetes. You know, billions are being spent on trying to address diabetes. There's like, what, 70 drugs, 70 plus drugs and counting, and yet diabetes is on the rise. Why is that? What are we missing? It's, it's a good question, and I think we're really missing uh, everything. So doctors conventionally, uh, again, diagnose diabetes as high blood sugar, too much sugar in the blood, and therefore their treatment is focused on one thing, bringing blood sugar down, bringing your sugar levels down, levels down closer to normal. So a normal blood sugar, fasting, serum test, so if you go into the lab, have a blood draw done, we should see it somewhere between 76 and 92 is the range that we use. Mid-80s is considered perfect. So if you have a blood sugar of 83, fasting, that's right where it should be. We also look at how your blood sugar responds to when you eat. That's called postprandial or post-meal blood sugars. And those, again, conventionally, it's recommended to be under 140. We like to see it under 120. And uh, so that's what happens to your blood sugar after you eat a meal. Now, doctors prescribe medication to bring blood sugar levels down closer to that 80 mark. And that's all they do. The problem is that blood, high blood sugar is not really uh, the disease. It's just a symptom or more accurately a sign of diabetes. The root cause of the disease underlies that and it has to do with this hormone insulin and how our body uh, processes it, how our uh, hormonal system communicates with our cells to be able to let us take up glucose and burn that for fuel. So by prescribing medications, as you said, uh, really tens of medications, 70, 80, when you look at all the combinations of drugs, the different insulins out there, all the different classes of diabetes medications, they have one goal in mind, it's lower blood sugar, but that does nothing to address the root cause of type 2 diabetes. So in your 20 years, what have you found to be that secret formula to address the root cause? <laughs> well, it is individualized, and that's why I love functional medicine, because you know, when we do a consultation with a new client, uh, really we don't go in with any preconceived notions. It's not, oh, it's all about their diet. Mm -hmm. uh, after we do an interview, we might have a, uh, you know, have a long discussion with them, a consultation, if you will. Uh, we have a better idea of, of maybe what direction to go in, but then we'll run some tests to see which organ systems are out of balance. It can be, uh, it can be diet, 
but even diet is a little bit more complicated than it might seem on the surface. It's not just about eating too much sugar, for example. Uh, it can be about physical activity, but many of our new clients are active and, uh, in fact, not even overweight or maybe not significantly overweight. Uh, it can be about other factors like sleep, various stress factors. But then we have to go even deeper and look at things like gut health. Uh, other stress factors like chronic infections can drive blood sugar out of balance, adrenal and thyroid dysfunction, and the list goes on. There's many, many factors that can all play a role in causing and contributing to the underlying issues that result in type 2 diabetes. Let's talk about diets for a moment. So sure. we've got the paleo, the keto, the vegan, the dash. There's so many diets out there. What are your thoughts on all these different diets? And then I'd love to spend a little more time on uh, both keto diet as well as intermittent fasting. So here's my current thinking. There's maintenance diet, which is sort of good for anybody. I would put you know my sort of teenage son on a good maintenance diet. And to me, a good maintenance diet is a real food, whole food diet, balanced, uh, getting some high quality protein uh, from you know, clean animal products, if, if you like, uh, lots and lots of vegetables, uh, fruit uh, in moderation. But again, if you're metabolically healthy, you can get away with more. I like fruit, by the way, in season, uh, which isn't, you know, there's not a huge uh, season for fruit, but if you stick with that, you're going to be pretty good, pretty, uh, do pretty well with fruit. Uh, and then things like starchy vegetables, beans and legumes. Uh, for somebody who's really metabolically healthy, these can be uh, excellent uh, choices. Uh, grains, I'm a little bit more cautious of. There's a, a lot of things in grains that I think uh, don't contribute to health. Some people can tolerate grains and certain grains may need to be avoided, but certain grains can be really healthy. Um, and then uh, lots of healthy fats, things like avocado and uh, olive oil, olives and nuts and seeds and so forth. So the, this is a good maintenance diet. Now, when it comes to diabetes, I think we have to change our, our filters a little bit. And this is what I discuss with my clients. Sometimes we have to put filters over a good maintenance diet. So for example, if you know that you're gluten intolerant, then we need to put a gluten filter over that and make sure we're not eating any gluten foods. If you know that you have allergies to dairy products uh, like casein protein and, and cheese and other dairy products, you may need to put a dairy-free filter over your diet uh, or at least the foods that contain those proteins. For someone with diabetes, we need to put a low-carb filter over that diet. So that means because carbohydrates uh, will trigger insulin surges more than any other food. Uh, proteins will do it as well. Uh, fats typically do not trigger an insulin surge, but carbohydrates will. And anything that triggers an insulin surge will cause us to become more diabetic. It'll cause us to store more fat and become even more insulin resistant. So we have to put a low carb filter over the diet. That means uh, grains usually are out for a while. Things like starchy vegetables, uh, potatoes and parsnips and so forth are either out or greatly reduced for a while. Uh, we may even need to cut way down on beans and legumes. Uh, some people do fine on lentils in moderation and, and some others. 
and we need to uh, actually limit our fruit consumption even quite a bit more and focus again on lots of leafy green vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, salad greens. There's plenty of options, uh, moderate fruit intake, nuts and seeds, healthy fats, and good quality organic protein sources. So that's what we do uh, first. Now, I will say that some people uh, genetically uh, can't handle uh, a high fat diet like that. So uh, those people, and sometimes we find this through trial and error, other times we can see this in lab tests, but uh, sometimes we need to change that strategy and go towards more of a plant-based uh, eating approach with very low fat. Um, but I find that's maybe one out of 10. Okay. Which is your favorite um, diet these days? Would it be the keto diet or the paleo diet? Well, um, I don't necessarily like keto because I think that people get obsessed with measuring ketones in their blood, and I don't think it's necessary, especially for blood sugar control. Uh, what I do like about keto diet is it, uh, you know, there's a lot of resources out there that make it easier to follow a low-carb diet. So in other words, if you're trying to follow a, an ultra-low-carb diet, maybe keeping your net carbs, say, below 50 grams a day, uh, you can go on keto diet websites and find all kinds of great recipes, which will be low-carb. Uh, what I don't like is, again, this obsession with, am I in you know, nutritional ketosis? And, oh my gosh, why aren't I losing weight on this? And you know, trying to sort of become so extreme uh, that, uh, you know, you're really trying to drive your ketone, blood ketones uh, into the, say, moderate range, which is completely unnecessary for good blood sugar management. So I like some things about it, and there's other things I don't. But really, the point is to uh, limit your carbohydrates, but focus on really good, whole, healthy, real foods. You talked about fatty liver early on when we were talking about the causes. What do you think is creating this epidemic in fatty liver? Because the numbers there are pretty frightening too. The non-alcoholic fatty liver disease seems to have just exploded out of nowhere. And as you rightly pointed out, it's you know, clearly one of the causes of the, the rampant increase in diabetes. I think it's three things. Number one is uh, inflammation. So when our bodies are bombarded with oxidative stress from pollutants and other things in our environment. And uh, we trigger this systemic inflammatory response. Uh, it has negative consequences for the liver, for the liver's ability to detoxify itself, for the mitochondria, which are the little energy uh, factories in the cells of the liver, which generate energy. Uh, they don't work as well and uh, the liver gets congested. Um, the, uh, the second thing is toxins. So there's many studies right now uh, over the past couple decades that have been released on the effect of various um, pollutants, organic, persistent organic pollutants, things like uh, PCBs, which are not used necessarily anymore in the U.S., but uh, are, are per persistent, which means they stay in our bloodstream and they even get passed down through uh, uh, cord blood and so forth to our children, uh, passed through breast milk and all these things, um, which is unfortunate. 
uh, bisphenol A. Most people have heard of BPA. Uh, BPA is known to block insulin receptors, so it causes insulin resistance in the liver and, and in other cells, and it affects the way our pancreas works, so it can stop us from producing insulin properly. Uh, phthalates, which are found in cosmetics and plastics, and uh, the list goes on. There's, they're called diabetogens, and there's uh, you know, dozens of them which have been identified in our environment that we're all exposed to every day, and those can cause liver congestion, again, inflammation in the liver and problems. And then the third uh, cause of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is the biggest one of all, is insulin resistance, which leads to high insulin levels. Mm. So our uh, periphery, our peripheral cells, like our muscle cells, the ones, the non-organ uh, areas of our body, typically become insulin resistant first, which happens through this inflammatory process, eating a, a diet high in processed foods, refined grains, refined sugar, uh, refined vegetable oils, uh, living an inflammatory lifestyle, high-stress lifestyle, not getting enough sleep, having gut dysbiosis, food allergies and sensitivities. All these things drive inflammation, which not only affects our heart and our brain, but affects our liver uh, and affects our muscles. We become insulin resistant. So our cells, like our muscle cells in this case, which need insulin to absorb glucose, which we then burn as fuel when we exercise or move around, become resistant to insulin because all this inflammation sort of junks up the uh, cell. So it's almost like, so insulin you can think of as a key that unlocks the door that allows uh, fuel to get into your cell to get burned. And it's almost as if somebody stuck a, another key in there and broke it off or put some gum in the lock and that key does not open the cell anymore. So that insulin doesn't work properly. That insulin resistance uh, starts to uh, lead to what the body does in response to that is makes more insulin. So instead of uh, just you know cleaning out the lock, which it does try to do, uh, it, it makes more locks and makes more keys. So your insulin levels go up, which sounds like it makes sense. The problem is that uh, that's not without consequence. Insulin is your main fat storage hormone. Right. So in the presence of insulin, uh, we start storing more fat. The other thing is uh, when we have too much sugar in the diet, particularly fructose, because fructose does not get taken up by the cells of your body. It goes to the liver. So when you eat, uh, let's, let's say you, we'll keep it simple, you drink a soda that has some high fructose corn syrup in it, and uh, that gets absorbed into the bloodstream, your body sends all that fructose right to the liver. Now, fruit also is high in fructose. It's actually, most fruits are around the same percentage of fructose as high fructose corn syrup. Uh, but of course, you have all the phytonutrients and bioflavonoids and fiber and other healthy things in the fruit, which protect uh, your liver and protect your cells from uh, damage. But you still have to deal with all that fructose. So that's why I don't recommend a high fructose diet, a high fruit diet, especially with people with uh, diabetes or prediabetes. But all that fructose goes to the liver. Since you already have high blood sugar, 
the body only can do one thing with that, and that's turn it into fat. So you've got all this fructose sitting in the liver in the presence of high insulin and in the presence of high uh, blood sugar, your body takes all that fructose, converts it to fat. So we see fat building up around the organs. We see fat spilling out into the blood, high triglycerides, high LDL cholesterol, high total cholesterol, more inflammation, more problems. I think we just identified the cause of obesity epidemic in the U.S., isn't it? Well, it's certainly one of them. I mean, we have to also, again, look at toxins and just like there's diabetogens, there's obesogens. We have to look at gut health. That's a big area of study. But you're right. Insulin is a big factor. And insulin is tied very closely with leptin, which is the hormone that turns off our hunger. So uh, when we become insulin resistant, oftentimes we become leptin resistant as well. And we can't tell when we're full or not anymore. So we just overeat. And all of that contributes, I think, to obesity. Listening to you, it sounds to me like liver health should be a priority. And it's not something I ever hear doctors talking about. You know, hey, let's clean your liver. But I do hear both Ayurvedic doctors and Chinese doctors talk about the liver a lot. So what does functional medicine say with respect to healing the liver and getting the liver to function better again? Well, it's really primary, especially with, with type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome, obesity, and, uh, and prediabetes, because the liver is the main metabolic organ in the body. Um, next to the brain, it has the most mitochondrial density, which means uh, each cell has up to 2,000 mitochondria. Those are the little organelles, tiny little organelles inside the cell. So you can think about how small a cell is, um, really microscopic. And imagine 2,000 mitochondria energy-producing factories in each of those cells of the liver. It's, it's amazing. So the, the liver uh, really does a lot. It's got you know, hundreds of functions, but its main functions are detoxification of the body uh, and production of certain things. Certain hormones are made in the liver, uh, certain... Um, uh, things like uh, fats, for example, cholesterol, LDL, uh, cholesterol, lipoproteins are made in the liver. And, um, and the, the liver is, uh, again, one of the main energy producers. It makes bile, which helps us break down fat and uh, many, many other things. But the liver uh, really is where type 2 diabetes begins because, well, it begins in the periphery, but, but uh, that's where insulin resistance begins. Type 2 diabetes really begins in the liver because it's that congestion, it's that backup of stored fuel of fat in this case that ultimately pushes us over the edge where we can no longer regulate and control our own blood sugar. And in fact, the liver um, stores and produces a lot of the glucose that we measure in the blood. So glucose is stored in the body as glycogen, most of it in the muscles, but about 400 grams in the liver. And the liver can break down that glycogen and dump sugar into the bloodstream. It also can make sugar out of uh, protein and even out of fat, although it usually will make it out of protein if it has to. Uh, that's called gluconeogenesis to, to raise blood sugar. So again, there's a lot of these. The, to me, the liver is really the hub of the wheel. And you're right, in Western medicine, unless you have cirrhosis, mm -hmm. 
you know, some sort of, you know, known liver disease, the liver is largely ignored yeah. as, as a uh, health indicator. So, so from a functional medicine perspective, to me, I think the gut and the liver are the two primary areas of focus in the beginning of care. So we'll usually start our new clients or patients off with a detoxification program with a modified elimination diet, give the liver lots of support to do its job so that, uh, and, and we see drastic changes in people's health within 30 days just by starting with During that. Menopause, menopause stage. What are your thoughts on hormone imbalances in women uh, being a driving factor for becoming insulin resistant? Have you seen that? And if so, what do you recommend to someone out there that's perimenopause looking at getting into menopause? What caution or what recommendations do you give them to make sure that they don't end up pre-diabetic or diabetic? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, there are some, some direct connections and some indirect connections. Anything that can cause you to gain weight um, and store more fat is, uh, is a problem because, again, a lot of the problems that lead to higher and higher blood sugars come from uh, organ fat, particularly liver fat. Uh, and uh, also anything that can be perceived by the body as a stress. So a hormone imbalance, for example, oftentimes is perceived as a stress. You know, when you're having night sweats and you're uh, having a hard time regulating and controlling uh, sort of basic mechanisms of your body, uh, that's certainly perceived as a stress. And uh, when, when your body perceives something as a stress, uh, it's the sa- if it's an internal stress, it reacts the same way as if you were being attacked by you know, a predator, it releases cortisol and from the adrenals and cortisol raises your blood sugar. And uh, every time you uh, have any type of stress situation, that could be a chronic pain. It could be a poor night's sleep. It could be, uh, again, just a a major hormone fluctuation that the body's having a hard time dealing with. That's going to cause a cortisol surge, which is going to cause a blood sugar surge, which is going to cause an insulin surge. And over and over again, uh, we start becoming, slowly becoming insulin resistant and pre-diabetic. So it becomes a vicious cycle. Uh, Oftentimes we see a relationship between uh, estrogens, uh, progesterone even, and uh, thyroid hormone. Uh, Or we see a relationship between the adrenal glands, which once our once uh, a woman's ovaries uh, start slowing and and eventually stop production of these female hormones the body still ha- still needs them so it has to make them uh, basically from uh, the adrenal glands the adrenal glands make something called pregnenolone which then ultimately gets converted downstream to estrogen and progesterone and cortisol by the way and, and other Uh, important hormones that we need to function. Uh, So it puts more pressure and stress on the adrenals, and that can uh, tax the thyroid gland, it can tax the liver, and again, there's a delicate balance between the liver and the adrenal glands with blood sugar balance. So there's a variety of ways that, uh, that hormone imbalances in menopause and the whole transition into menopause 
can put stress on the adrenal glands. One thing that I uh, often recommend to female patients who are getting close to that stage is make sure you do everything you can to improve the health of your adrenals before you hit menopause, mm. because that'll make that transition much smoother. And well, I guess that would be another interview, isn't it? What can women do to improve <laughs> their adrenals? So we'll skip that one for now. Because in the interest of time, you know, I want to make sure we get a lot of the other questions answered. Um, you've said that there's some great 10 tips uh, to prevent or reverse diabetes. Let's talk about those. What are those 10 tips? Sure. Uh, I'll go through a few and then uh, you can, I'll tell you where you can get a uh, we have we put it all into a PDF and uh, you can get a free download of it and, and uh, look at all of them. But uh, there's a few that I want to mention. And the first one is to find and address the root cause. So we started our conversation talking about diabetes conventionally being seen as high blood sugar and that that's really just a sign of diabetes. It's not uh, it's not really diabetes. That's actually got a name. It's called hyperglycemia when our blood sugar is too high. Yeah. Diabetes is much more complex than that. And as we've talked about over the last uh, minutes here, there are many factors that can contribute to high blood sugar. So it's about finding that for you as an individual. Uh, I like personalized medicine. And finding that for you sometimes means just doing a good self-assessment look at things uh, in your body. Do you have hormone imbalances? Do you think you have adrenal fatigue or thyroid imbalances? Do you have gut problems, leaky gut syndrome or gut dysbiosis? Do you have chronic pain from perhaps a back issue or a neck issue or fibromyalgia or something like this? Do you have chronic infection like a Lyme disease or other bloodborne infection? How is your diet? How's your physical activity? Um, one, one way to do this is we talk, uh, to keep it a little bit more simple, I talk about the big four factors. Mm -hmm. uh, that's diet and nutrition, physical activity, and physical activity more than just, uh, oh yeah, I have an active job, you know, I walk around the store when I work. Now, physical activity means a comprehensive physical activity approach where you're getting some good slow fat burning cardio exercise you're getting some resistance training and you're doing some sprint or interval training at a higher intensity to burn up the stored sugar in your body. And how often at, should that be done? Um, I like to do sprint training one to three times a week. So, uh, you know, once a week is okay. Uh, two or three times a week. It can be done daily, honestly, because it's short. It's, you know, you're talking about five or 10 minutes of, of, up and down interval training. But, um, but at least once to three times a week, we like to see 150 minutes of slow fat burning cardio each week. So, you know, that's like three days a week at 50 minutes or five days a week at 30 minutes or something like that. And, um, and then resistance training at least 10 minutes, 20 or 30 is better, but at least 10 minutes, two to four times a week. So that's our recommendations for physical activity. Uh, the important thing is to move every day. Um, you know, a lot of people will, you know, even if you're getting your cardio in uh, three times a week at 50 minutes, do something those other four days. You don't have to go out and do an intense exercise routine, but do something because the body's meant to move. And the, the stats are pretty depressing, which is 79% of Americans do not meet the minimum requirements for exercise. So those of you who are watching this and going, oh, I, I work out. No, you don't. 
<laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Make Pro- sense of what it means needs to be. Yeah, probably not enough. Yeah. And, uh, and, and again, the more insulin resistant you are, the more metabolically challenged you are, the more exercise you probably need uh, to keep your blood sugar in check. The third is sleep and the fourth is stress factors. I mentioned a variety of those stress factors. Of course, mental, emotional stress, overwhelm, responsibilities, all that, th- all that kind of stuff is, is one part of it, but we have to look at all those other physiological stressors. That's where the gut health and the chronic infections and chronic pain and hormone imbalances, those are all stress factors. So if you look at these four areas and you just do a quick self-assessment, one to 10, how's my diet? Uh, one to 10, how's my physical activity routine? One to 10, how's my sleep? And one to 10, uh, how, how many of these stress factors am I dealing with? And then you look at uh, which one is sort of the best. So, you know, maybe my diet's good. I'm exercising. I really don't have a lot of stress. I don't have any gut issues, hormone imbalances, chronic pain, infections, all that seems to be okay, but I'm not really sleeping very well. You know, my sleep's up, up and down. I'm, you know, I'm not getting good quality sleep. I'm tired in the morning. So you give yourself a rating on, on, on each of those. And then whichever one needs the most work, has the most room for improvement, I recommend focusing on that first. Focus on that. Uh, That could be the big lever for you. So maybe if you move that lever, then some of the other things start to fall in line. Maybe you get that one fixed, and then it's time to move on to something else to do another self-assessment. So that's the first thing is find and address the root cause. Uh, I can go through some other tips if you want to. Yeah, um, a couple of tips. Yeah, there's a couple more. I'll do a couple more quickly. Um, uh, balance your stress is another one. So uh, here I get into all those different stress factors, what they are, how to identify them, and uh, you know, really how to look at this. As I mentioned, the body doesn't care whether that stress is coming from uh, you know, having a deadline at work or having an argument with your spouse or uh, having hormones that are, are, are out of control and out of balance. The, the body still perceives it as a stress and is going to react the same way. Once it gets into the, the, uh, the adrenals and the adrenals react and respond, uh, at that point, the genesis of the stress is really irrelevant. So we have to look at all these stresses. And what I recommend doing is so, sort of picture one of those old legal scales that has the, the two plates on either side mm-hmm. and load all the stressors on one side. And then you need to start loading some other things on the other side to try to create some balance. So uh, of course you try to take off as many of the stressors off this side, but sometimes we can't take them off. You know, we have no choice. So what do we put over here on the other side to balance that scale? Those are things like meditation, journaling, Uh, a good morning and evening routine, walking meditation, breath work, uh, doing things like heart math, heart variability training, uh, you know, doing visualization. There's all sorts of things that you can do to bring balance. And the more you have over on this stress side, the more you need to do to bring balance to that. Uh, Tai Chi, things like uh, massage, massage therapy, uh, gentle, you know, forms like Shivananda yoga and gentle forms of yoga. There's all sorts of things you can do to bring balance. But again, the more you have on the stress side, the more you need to do to bring balance. 
uh, you know, our health boot camps, that's what they're designed for because everything you say, people listen and they say, yes, I need to. And then there's the, that fall off, right? Oh, I should be doing breath work and meditation and journaling and visualization. And I get all inspired when I listen to Dr. Mole and then I do nothing. So we created these health boot camps, which give you the meditation you need to do in the morning, give you the breath work you need to do, give you a free journal that you print and completely free and you start journaling. So we've tried, Dr. Mole, to incorporate a lot of what you're sharing in our health boot camps so that someone who's listening to this can say, okay, I'm ready, you know, tell me what do I need to do? Well, you can join the boot camps and you can, we have lots of boot camps. We're going to be having a diabetes boot camp soon. So you can launch your, your 14 day sort of reset uh, love program with support. So yep. um, yeah, for those of you, you know, check out healthbootcamps.com. These are great. Uh, just, we have a few minutes left. So I have a, a very important question. We, you know, I come from Silicon Valley. I'm right here in the heart of tech innovation. And I hear about so many wonderful new uh, apps that are coming out, measurement tools that are coming out. What do you like the most these days? Have, is there a particular app or a diabetic management tool or technology that you are starting to favor? Uh, you know, unfortunately, no, um, there, there really aren't. There are tons of them out there and I, I look at them. There's some, there's some good ones. Um, but uh, they all have their limitations. Um, so there's some, there's some, you know, good calorie trackers, for example, which I don't recommend counting calories, but you can count things like carb grams if you need to and do net carbs on them. Uh, there are uh, other uh, trackers to look at, uh, you know, activity level, for example. And I do like some of the wearable uh, devices, like the Ura Ring, for example, or you know Fitbit, if you will, okay. to track sleep and to track uh, fitness levels and, and activity levels. I think those are helpful, um, but I don't think there's any perfect solution yet. Um, and I'll also mention that I'm not yet a big fan of uh, a lot of the blood sugar trackers that connect into smartphones. I find the technology is not quite there yet, and unfortunately, they're very inaccurate. So. Uh, when you're tracking, I do like uh, people to track and check their own blood sugar. Uh, the meter that I recommend most is is just a a big, uh, you know, basic simple blood sugar meter that you can buy over the counter. It's it's called the Precision Neo, made by um, uh, Abbott. I think makes it. It's available at CVS and Walmart and a lot of other places. I like it because it's inexpensive. Uh, the test strips are individually packed, so if you're not checking your blood sugar every day, you don't have to worry about them, you know, getting uh, moisture buildup and going bad on you. And um, and the test strips themselves are inexpensive for that particular unit, and the technology is good. It actually works really well. It's pretty accurate. But the ones that, uh, for example, connect in with the iPhones uh, okay. through, you know, something that, uh, you know, connects through the uh, the lightning port or the, uh, the the headphone jack, those just don't seem to work very well. Um, and I find that a lot of the apps, they get too complicated and, and unfortunately end up disagreeing with a lot of the advice that they're giving. So for example, a, a calorie tracking app might tell you you're eating too much fat uh, or you need to get your carbs up 
you know, when in fact uh, we're recommending just the opposite. Um, so there's a, I haven't found one that's perfectly customizable yet uh, to be able to, to recommend, unfortunately. I mean, if, if you're willing to sort of uh, read between the lines and take the data out of that and, and record it, uh, you know, manually on your own, things like, uh, you know, Fit Day and Calorie King and some of the other ones that have been around for a while are, are still really good. But uh, but I'll be on the lookout and let you know if I find something that I really like. That'd be great. So let's talk about your Diabetes Summit now. Tell us all about it. When does it start and um, who's in it and what can viewers list learn? Well, this, is a, this project is really a labor of love for me. It's something I started doing five years ago and we're on our fifth year, the Diabetes Summit 2018. Uh, each year, we exp I, I interview uh, 30 to 40 experts. We have 32 experts on this year uh, from all uh, areas of health and healing. Uh, we've had many plant-based uh, experts. Joel Kahn, who I know you know, was on our Diabetes Summit last year. Uh, this year, we have uh, Brad Pilon, who's an expert in intermittent fasting. So we briefly talked about that, but he wrote a book called Eat, Stop, Eat, which is all about intermittent fasting. So he has a he has an expert presentation. We have Frank Lippman, who's a, uh, a brilliant doctor in New York uh, from uh, South Africa, who talks all about optimal diet for diabetes. Uh, Cynthia Pasquella, who's a nutritionist, she has a, a concept of what are you really hungry for? And it's about getting to the root of food addiction. Uh, we also have Susan Pierce Thompson, who's a, a recovering uh, drug addict herself and food addict who created a system for breaking through food cravings and addictions and has just become an all-star in the uh, health and wellness space. Uh, she gave a great interview uh, Dr. Jolene Brighton, all about female health, PCOS and female health and the insulin link. Uh, Nicholas Pinot, who's an EMF, electromagnetic field expert. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. We have uh, 32 incredible expert interviews, and it's all free. So it starts on April 23rd. Uh, you, can, uh, you can register for free. You, you want to register as soon as possible because you get some free gifts ahead of time, including my ebook, The 10 Tips to Reversing Type 2 Diabetes. We shared a couple of them. There's eight more. Uh, you'll get that. You'll get some other uh, great audios and videos to listen to. And uh, on April 23rd, it runs for uh, seven days. And then we do a big encore at the end. And uh, it's all free. Uh, so you can go watch four or five expert presentations each day. Uh, and you don't want to miss a day because they do expire. So you got to stay on top of it. But uh, you're going to learn a tremendous amount. It's very valuable. And again, this is just a labor of love for me to share as much information as we can with, with as many people as possible. Sounds very exciting. So definitely we'll be registering. We'll be putting this in the show notes. So for those of you who are either, you know, worried about diabetes, pre-diabetes, or have loved ones who are experiencing it, this is an absolute you know, must attend summit. So yeah, and Rena, just real quick, I'm, I'm glad you said that because it's called the Diabetes Summit, but you don't need diabetes to attend this. We talk right. about uh, pre-diabetes, blood sugar imbalances, weight problems, metabolic issues, female problems, you name it, we cover it. Anything related to metabolic health. So 
And 90% of the people who attend the summit, who register and attend the summit, do not have type 2 diabetes. Although there's a lot of solutions for people with diabetes there also. So if you have a friend or family member with diabetes or you have diabetes, uh, there's, and, and even type 1, there's actually specific interviews for autoimmune disease and type 1 diabetes. So uh, there's a lot there, but you don't have to have diabetes to benefit from the summit. Absolutely. And you can absolutely pick and choose which sessions you want to attend. Cause that's what I do often, you know, I'll sign up and I'll be like, okay, this one, this one, this one, and I'll just put my timers on and make sure that's that right. I'm able to watch those. And then of course, you know, purchase the summit at the end. Dr. Mold, this has been so insightful. Share with our listeners and viewers, uh, what is the one absolute mandatory thing everybody should do starting right now, if they want to prevent or treat or reverse diabetes? Well, you know, it, it's almost obvious, but it's, it's focus on eating real food. And I'll make one, I'll say one thing that maybe isn't, an, isn't as obvious. Oftentimes, it's more about what we're not eating than what we're eating. So I have a lot of clients who say, I'm eating a good diet, you know, I get vegetables in every day, and I, I uh, you know, I eat, you know, healthy, fresh fruits, and I'm eating organic, you know, proteins and so forth. But then we look at the rest of their diet and they're still sneaking in uh, way too many processed refined foods, things like refined vegetable oils, snacks, uh, this and that too often. It's not that you can never do it, but it's happening too often and it's never really allowing them to create some momentum towards healing. So I think the first thing is make a commitment to a real food, low carb real food diet and give your body a chance, give it, give it really a chance to start to recover and heal. So I, you know, I, I recommend 30 days, try to be as close to perfect as you can. Uh, maybe start with a week if 30 days sounds like too much. And I know your boot camps are two weeks, which is fantastic. That's a great starting point for people. Be as perfect as you can. Give your body a chance to start to build some momentum towards healing, and then we can start moving back towards moderation if we need to. But real food, healthy food, low-carb uh, diet, and, and again, cut out the stuff that you know is, is not contributing to your health and healing. That's so brilliantly said. And if you're wondering what that means, it means nothing out of a package. <laughs> That's a good starting point. <laughs> Don't open anything, as we say in the boot camps, nothing out of a package. You know, Maybe some raw almonds, but yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe the nuts part of it, but yeah, nothing out of a package. Thank you so much, Dr. Merle, again. And for the rest of you, you know what you need to do. So get started today. Stay smiling and we'll see you. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five-star review and get show notes at healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps Facebook and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.